uh, with you. If you can take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We read our text this morning. At the conclusion of the service, the elders of the church here are going to lay hands on Luke, pray over Luke, in a sense send out Luke, right? It's, it's kind of what churches do. And yeah, I think all of us can understand why there can be an apprehension I mean, we, we all have a gospel apprehension. I mean, we, we all have this little niggle, especially in today's culture. Where I, I think that some of us, we're, we're just wondering, does the gospel still work today? Is, is the gospel still the power of God unto salvation? I mean, do, does this gospel, is the gospel still sufficient? Is the message of Jesus Christ sufficient for our ministry and our message? I, uh, I've spent the majority of my ministerial um, uh, ministry, just being able to travel and preach in all sorts of different churches. And, and uh, we used to spend the majority of our summer up, up at a camp in the North Woods of Wisconsin. And I can remember we started one summer and I, I was doing the staff training. So I, I spoke that week like 15 to 20 times. And I was supposed to jump on a, a red-eye flight from Green Bay, Wisconsin to Las Vegas. I was going to land in the middle of the morning and then like, like four in the morning. And then a pastor from southern Utah was going to take me up to St. George, Utah for the ordination of my friend. And so I, I, w- I was just tired. You know, I was so beat. I'd spoken 15, 20 times that week. I, I just, I, I didn't want to really talk to anyone. I was going to put the earbuds in and I was going to go to sleep. Anyone had a flight like that? And I was pretty excited. There was nobody sitting next to me. But I thought, that's too good to be true. And I'm looking down the aisle, because I'm on the aisle seat, and I see this guy get on the plane, and he's just large and in charge. And I mean, he's just kind of coming down the aisle, and he's talking to everybody. And I'm like, I know where he's going to sit. I know where he's going to, yep, that's where he's going to sit. And he's just talking. I've already spoken my like, like 50,000 words for the week, you know, or I, I'm done. I'm just like, I'm toast. I'm not speaking. I'm just nodding. He's just talking. All the rows in front are looking back. All the, the people on the other side of the aisle are listening to him, people behind us. He's like making everyone laugh, and we're just talking. And I mean, we get up to cruising altitude, altitude and and that, with that same loud voice, he goes, So, what do you do for a living? Well, I have this little phrase I say, I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That just kind of helps kind of get it all kind of framed, you know, for a conversation. I said, so I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes, really? Are you a Catholic or Protestant? It's like, well, technically neither, but from your perspective, Protestant. And he goes, he goes, well, I know everything there's to know about Catholics and Protestants. He said, I grew up Catholic, but I went to a Protestant university. And he said, you know what? I understand why those Protestants left the Roman Catholic Church in the 1300s or 1400s. They know all those indulgences. That's why Martin Luther left the Roman Catholic Church. And I'm just kind of nodding. I'm, I haven't said one word yet. He goes, but don't you think that all Catholics and all Protestants ought to get together? Don't you think so? Well, I said, 
Martin Luther left the Roman Catholic Church because of what's written in the book of Romans and Galatians. Have you ever read the book of Galatians? And this guy, like, I don't know what happened. Like, a switch was flipped. I mean, all I did is ask, have you read the book of Galatians? And he goes, I am just fine. Now, maybe I got a little snarky when I go, so have you read the book of Galatians? And he goes, I am just fine. And he turns from talking to me to talking to the girl on the other side of him about me in that same loud voice. And he's just, I mean, I haven't said a word except for have you read the book of Galatians? And he's talking so loud and so angrily that the people in the front are looking back at me. And the people in the aisle are looking at me. I know people behind me are looking at me because my scalp is itching, you know? I'm just like, oh! And I, I don't know what you do when you're like awkwardly uncomfortable. I just started to laugh. I'm like, ha, 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 hi, 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 Yeah, he's talking about me. Ha, 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 hi, hi, hi. I'm sitting there. Like, I'd done nothing. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I wonder how many times a Christian has to get hit before they shut up. Like, like how many times does a Christian need a little pushback before they're like, I'm done? A little bit of rejection, a little bit of vocal slander. I mean, how long does it take until we lose Heart. How many of you are a little bit weary of our culture? How many of you have some circumstance at work or neighborhood or relative that they just they just kind of have this, this standoffishness to you, or they treat you like you're some like like little child, or they're they're patronizing that you would go to church, or they're just how, how many of you know what it's like just to be a little bit marginalized because you're a Christian? You see, being a true Christian in our Western, Western culture is not becoming easier. It used to be that it was actually advantageous to be a Christian. And you know what, I, in one sense, I, I know, I, I mean, this, it's going to be a, a switch for the Bilesmas to, to go from Western Michigan to Utah. But, but let me just be straight up with all of us. Your turn's coming. It's not becoming easier to be a Christian. In fact, to be an outspoken Christian in our sexualized, secular society is frowned upon. To preach the exclusivity of Christ is the quickest way to be labeled intolerant and a bigot. To believe, to, to, to believe that, that, that Jesus Christ is, is really all we need for, for life and godliness is to be assumed as a little bit crazy. And I think sometimes Christians in the middle of this, we, we do one of two things. We either isolate ourselves or we accommodate the world. I mean, we either avoid everyone or, or we just assimilate into the culture. And that's not what the will of God is. The will of God is that we would go into the world and that we'd make disciples. And yet we just begin to wonder, is the message of Christ sufficient for today? Or was it just good for, for people that were going to the mission field? It, does it just work for people in the middle of a great awakening? I mean, is the message of Jesus Christ sufficient today? And you know what Paul tells us? He says resoundingly, he says, yes, it is sufficient today. 
And you look through the book of uh, Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians at the end, in chapter 11, you see that he faced many afflictions, the imprisonment, the beatings, the shipwrecks, the hunger, the sleepless nights, the health of the churches. And then you've got all these false teacher, teachers that are incessantly opposing him. And, and, and they come into the church, and they're saying, Paul, you're weak, you're dishonest, you're a corrupter of God's word. If anyone had reason to lose heart, it was Paul. And yet in 2 Corinthians 4, and that's our text, he says this is what a ministry should look like in a hostile environment. This is what I want to remind you. The message of Christ is sufficient today. And so how is it that we can live a life that communicates the sufficiency of Christ to our culture? Well, there's just two thoughts, two main movements to our text that I want to highlight for us, and they're these, that that to live a life that communicates the sufficiency of Christ to our culture, we must have a ministry that's authentic, or you could say a a ministry that's transparent, and then second, a message that exalts Christ. It's, It's actually, it's really how I live, and it's what I say. It's, it's what I do and what comes out of my lips. We must have a ministry that's authentic and we must declare a message that exalts Jesus Christ. So let's look at that first movement. We must have a ministry that's authentic. Look at verse 1 and 2 of 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we renounce disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You know, our culture is no longer asking if Christianity is true. In fact, you know that because uh, how many of you have gotten some telemarketer, I mean, some call, some robocall, some, some spam email? I mean, how many of you have had any of that happen to you this week? Would you raise your hand? Okay, how many of you have ever heard the phrase fake news? How many of you straight up, you don't even know which news channel to actually believe 100%? So, So you understand, or you verify just by raising your hand, that you're not even asking the question, is it true? I mean, you're... The, the, the society as a whole, they're, they're not asking, is it true? Because, well, well, post-modernity or post-modernism, what it did is it, it dropped into us kind of a, a plurality view of truth or a pluralism or, or really the idea of, of that, that there's really, that, that you have, there's no absolutes, but, but you've got your truth and I've got my truth and, and we've all got truth. And, and who really cares if they're mutually exclusive ideas and who cares if it's not logical, but we'll just go with it anyway. And, and so what happens is, is our, our society as a whole, they're, they're not asking is it true because everyone in this era of hyper-suspicion and da- data overload, anyone can, 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 can create what they think is true. And so do you know our culture's asking? By the way, I'm not saying that's true. <laughs> See what I did there? I, I, I am, a, I am a, a foundationalist, if that was the, that's the philosophy behind it, that there is an absolute truth. There is a basis for that. But the culture around us, they're not asking, is it true? They're asking, is it real? You see, for us to really validate the truth claims of Scripture, there must be an authenticity to our life and ministry. And this authentic ministry is actually possible because we've received this ministry from God. 
You see, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God. Or you could see that first word in verse 1, the therefore. There was a, a, you know, you want a theological dad joke? You want one? Do you know what dad jokes are? Why are all the men nodding with big smiles? The kids are groaning. A theological dad joke, D.A. Carson said this so that I've got backup. He said, when you see a therefore... You got to see what it's, oh my, Nate, they, are you a dad joke kind of guy? Got to see what it's there for. <laughs> well, chapters two and three. This authentic ministry, this authentic ministry, it, it, it's received by the mercy of God, but it's not of ourselves. Later on, he says, we preach not ourselves. In first, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Or 2 Corinthians 2, verse 17, but as sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. You see, the reason why we can have authentic ministry is because we've actually received this ministry from God. It, it's not like we've just created something. It's not like, it's not like we woke up this morning <clears throat> and we just said, I wonder what we could say, just kind of pull it out of the air, just kind of suck it out of my thumb. I mean, I, I just wonder what I could create. And what Paul's saying is he's saying, no, this ministry that I'm giving to you, Church of Corinth, actually is from God. This, these words that I'm giving to you, this manner of life, back in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 1, are at, are, are, we are, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? So, so the attack of the false teachers is, hey, hey, Paul, you, you don't really have it all figured out. You're kind of weak, and you're kinda, you've mishandled God's word, and you're just, uh, we don't think you actually know what you're talking about. And, and Paul's like, well, you know what? If this was about me, maybe then this would be fiction. But since this is not me, it's nonfiction. And since it's from God, let me just share with you. In fact, Church of Corinth, I want you to look around. I, I want you to realize this is 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3. You ourselves are our letter of recommendation. It's written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What Paul is saying is he's saying, I can't, I have no power that this message I have, this isn't my message because, well, just look at you. Your lives are different. How many of you you're not what you ought to be, but you're not what you used to be. And that's what Paul's doing. He's saying, look at you. You're different. The work that's happened in your life, it's not been because of me. He, he's saying, I can't do what's happened here. God did this. Oh, God did this through us. And he goes on in verse 4 and 5, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency of God. Our sufficiency is from God. 
He says, yes, Jesus Christ, the message of Christ is sufficient for, for today because, well, it, the way we show it is that we live a life that's authentic and we can be authentic because we've received this ministry from God and this ministry results in new life. He goes on and it says, just look around at you. And in verse 6 of chapter 3, he says, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And he says, those of you that have some place, uh, some, some vestiges of Judaism, those of you that, that, that really are, are Jews, okay, you used to follow the teachings of Moses. You used to follow the law, the old covenant, the ministry that brought death and condemnation, the tablets of stone, the veiled glory of God. And you would listen to, to, to Moses and all the Old Testament and the old covenant. He says, well, well, he goes on, he goes, but, but look what God's done in carrying that out. It's now through Christ. It's of the spirit. It's a ministry of life and freedom and soft hearts. And it's unveiled and it produces righteousness and permanent and brings hope and is clear and is energized by the Spirit and transformed all because the finished work of Jesus Christ. And he says this in verse 9 of chapter 3. He says, So if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? He said all that was good. It was showcasing the character of God. It was showing us how that we've fallen short. But because through Jesus Christ, there is life. We were actually, um, Christy and I were over serving. We were actually over at the Johnson's Church, West Valley, at Grace Baptist Church. There's some connections here, there. And we were preaching. And I, I was preaching. Christy was singing. And there was this lady in the service and the whole time, she's just smiling. She's just got this big old smile, like, like really big. And I'm like, what is she on? <laughs> I need some of that, you know? And we triangulate, and my wife must have seen her too. We triangulate on her, and we, and we just go, so what's your story? This is after the service. And she goes, well, about eight years ago, and she, she just started. She goes, I, um, I was a, a temple Mormon. I was, I was married in the church, and... Um, uh, about 25 years ago she was, and she goes, but about eight year, years ago, I came into a church, and I just, I just asked the pastor with me and my friend, and we just said, hey, we're just curious about, you know, the Bible. Can we do a Bible study with you? And this pastor said, yep, let's go through the book of Romans. Go big or go home, right? <laughs> and they start working through the book of Romans together, and this lady's friend, she bailed on the Bible study. She said, it's just going to cost me too much. And this lady, she, um, she comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and, and she lost a lot. She lost her marriage. She lost her job. There was all sorts of trials. In fact, that girl, the other friend that she started the Bible study with that left, she ran into her. She, she kind of told us a story within a story. She goes, two years ago, I ran into my friend that was doing the Bible study. I was in the grocery store, and this lady looked at me, and, and she just was like, wow, there you are. I just, it's almost like you died. And this Christian lady who was just full of the joy of Jesus, she said, I looked at my friend and I said, I did die. But I've been raised with Christ. And she goes, and now I live. <laughs> Do you know what that lady was showcasing? The ministry work of the Spirit of God. 
She's just living this authentic life. You see, to have a ministry that's authentic, to have this manner of life that's authentic is, is possible because we received this ministry from God and this ministry, it results in new life. But this ministry is a manifestation of God's mercy. This really brings us back to our text when he, he said this. He goes, but we've received this ministry by the mercy of God. You see, in the middle of what we're doing, Paul, Paul's saying, hey, as I'm just serving Christ, and here I am, and I'm writing this letter to Corinth, and I'm traveling all around the Mediterranean, and I've got all sorts of trials, and sometimes I feel like giving up, and sometimes I feel wrung out. He goes, no, I can have a true ministry because this ministry is from God, and this ministry results in life, and this ministry is a manifestation of God's mercy as we have received Mercy. We should ask ourselves, why, why are, are our hearts not hardened? Why, why weren't you born in Islamabad? Why, why do you get to be in a, a section of Michigan that there's lots of gospel opportunity? Why weren't you born in Lehigh, Utah? Why, why were you born in this area or live in this area where we were recipients of God's mercy? I mean, Paul got that. I mean, he was, here he is, a, a Jew of the Jews, right? He's, he's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he says, though I was formerly a blasphemer. This is 1 Timothy 1, verse 13. A persecutor, insolent. <coughs> Excuse me. He says in verse 14, but I've received mercy. And the grace of our Lord overflows for me. And the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. And the saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I'm foremost. But I received mercy for this reason. You see, what God's called you to, to live right here in Grand Haven, to live out your Christian life, to live in a, in a, in a secular society, to live amongst folks that do not know Christ as, as their own Savior. He has called you to this ministry. He's given you this life in your heart. You've received this mercy. I mean, Ephesians chapter 2, right? We're born dead in our trespasses and sins. I mean, it looks dark and bleak. And then verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love wherewith he loved us. Titus 3, 5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Or 2 Corinthians 3, he, he just goes on and, and says it so clearly, as we read in the corporate reading, how that God has done this work in us. You see, when we're tempted to lose heart and we question, is the message of Christ sufficient? Oh, friend, yes, it is. You see, Paul's calling as an apostle or his competency to serve in his role or, or and none of this, none of this was because of his own doing. Like, like your ability to know Jesus Christ as your own Savior, that, that wasn't your own doing. You did not somehow have your own righteousness. It's not because of you. It, if God's put you in a specific area, he's called you to live there and proclaim there and, um, and show Jesus there. And yet when we're tempted to lose heart, sometimes it's because we think that's because of our own doing that we're where we're at. No, we are objects of God's divine mercy. 
Uh, one commentator said this. He goes, I'll say this twice. He says this, if you should ever think that your position in the kingdom of God is a reward rather than a gift, there will be little to sustain you in seasons of hardship and anguish. Like, if, if you think that somehow your place of service, your position in the kingdom of God is a reward rather than a gift or a stewardship, there will be little to sustain you in seasons of hardship and anguish. Where you are as a Christian, where you're serving in the kingdom is a gift from God. It's an assignment from the, the, the Lord of hosts. The general has called you somewhere. It's not because of your righteousness. It's because of the finished work of Jesus Christ alone that you have the capacity to even be there. And it's a gift. Otherwise, if it's all about you, when people reject you and people slander you and people poke at you and people don't listen to you, there will be little to sustain you during those seasons. But because this ministry is from God, you can maintain an authentic ministry no matter what other people do around you. You see, how is it that we model the sufficiency of Christ? We just have this authenticity, a transparency to our ministry, and it's possible because we've received it from God. But this authentic ministry is visible when we practice the ministry with integrity. You see, remember when I was telling you that, that the culture around us, they're not asking, is it true? Because I have my truth claim, and they have their truth claim, and they have their truth claim. But when they begin to see an authenticity, when they begin to see a ministry that's just practiced with integrity, and it's just consistently reflective of Jesus Christ, there is substance that begins to push through all of the inclusivity of our culture, and we begin to realize that it's Jesus Christ that is really the true message of salvation. And it pushes through, and that's why our ministry must be honest. Verse 2, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Going back to chapter 2, verse 17, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And you know what? Paul just refuses to be connected with a message or a manner of anything of the teachers. Those, those disgraceful and underhanded ways... Those are sneaky and shameful things. Um, I just want to say, if you're a guest here this morning, that what I'm doing is I'm just telling us what the Bible says in this little section. And if you were to keep on coming back to Lakeshore, can I just tell you something? That's all you're going to hear. You're going to hear a little more of God's Word and a little more of God's Word and a little more of God's Word. There, there's no like little sneaky initiation party. Like seriously, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, we don't take you into some back room and go like, now that you're in, we have a secret for you. Do you know that what we have as Christians, this is all we have. And it's enough. And you know what? This Bible, God's Word, has been the best-selling book for hundreds of years. 
like, let me just tell every Christian something. You have nothing to hide. The world already knows what you believe. They have Bibles. They can go online. They can Google a copy. They can order a copy. I mean, the world knows what you believe. We're not gonna, we don't have any sneaky, disgraceful, underhanded tricks. We're not, we're not, I remember I, I took a group of teens into <coughs> the, um, there were a bunch of Midwestern teens, you know, so they'd never really known much about Mormonism or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, and so I'm taking them to the, the temple, and I, I just remember this group was a little bit more, like they just didn't even have any real prep with Mormonism or anything. And, and so the, the lady there at the temple, she's like, so why are you guys here in Utah? I still remember this like seventh grade boy. He's like, we're on a missions trip. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe not the best thing, but it's all right, you know. And this girl, you know, you'd, you'd think she'd be offended, right? She's like, oh, that's wonderful. Are you guys Christians? And the boy's like, aha. And she's like, we are too. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I mean, it's in our name. And, the, and all these kids are like, huh? And she's just talking and talking. And she's like, so does anyone have any questions? And, and all the kids are like, they're kind of like, uh. And so I just in the back, I said, oh, yeah, can you just tell us, when did Jesus Christ become God? And she goes, oh, Jesus is not God. And all the kids go, ah. <laughs> As we began to continue communicate and and it became evident that there was, it was really two different things. It was like, it's like just because I have a neighbor whose name is Jesus, and you've got a neighbor who's Jesus, it doesn't mean it's the same Jesus. And all of a sudden we're talking, and, and your Jesus is going off to college, and my Jesus is having great grandkids. And all of a sudden we're like, huh? This lady, I, I just let the, the teens go. They were working their way around the temple and going to little museums and stuff. And this lady came up to me. She goes, why is it that you just don't think we're the same? I mean, she was really upset with me, a philosophy major. She was from England. She's like, why, why do you think that we're not the same? And I said, well, because we're not the same. She goes, yes, we are. And Jesus and Jesus. And I said, yes, we have the same like physical Jesus. You believe in a Jesus who came to this earth at the same time that we do. And, and it's like uh, physical Jesus, but we don't have the same, we don't have the same spiritual Jesus. And she's like, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, just because we believe in the same ethic doesn't mean we have the same theology. Well, what do you mean by that? I said, because the church has affirmed the Trinitarian nature of Jesus Christ. She goes, oh, we're not Trinitarian. I'm like, exactly. That's a big deal. But what is going on? Tricky, underhanded, disgraceful. He goes on, he says, and we, we refuse to practice cunning as trickery for selfish gain. Can I tell you? There are charlatans who preach the Bible. Did you hear me? There are people who get up and say some Bible phrases. They'll, they'll, they'll take verses out of context. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed the more, the more of a false teacher they are, the worse they take things out of context? Have you ever noticed that? 
And they're just using it for their own gain. Or they, they tamper with God's word. They, they mix in something else and of a different essence. Or they're peddlers. They're hucksters. They take a product and then they dilute it. You know, they, they, take, the, they take the wine and they, they dilute it out. Or they, they take the oil and they, they do something with it. Or they take the broken vessel and they put wax on it and kind of make to try to sell it. They dilute it. They, they, they adulterate it. They, they mess with it so they can sell it for for. A prophet. And Paul's saying, no, Jesus Christ is not a commodity that I'm selling. Jesus Christ is not a means to the end. He is my end. He is the substance. And, and what's going on here is Paul, he's just getting hit from every angle. And he's like, no, no, Jesus is still enough. But the way we demonstrate to everyone around us is, is we must have a, a ministry that's authentic and it's possible because this ministry is from God that this ministry is seen to others when we practice it with integrity. And so we must be honest and we must be transparent. And look at verse, verse 2. But by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He's just like, I have nothing to hide as I alluded to earlier. Maybe I got ahead of myself just a touch. There's, there's no secret handshakes. There's, there's no secret groups. We have nothing to prove. Um, you know what I'm finding? Uh, our church, we just, uh, we're, we're seeing people saved, and then we're collecting a younger generation that I, I was just on the phone with one, like right before I flew out, there was this girl, and she goes, I think I'm supposed to be a member of a church, and I, I just don't, I mean, I just have always done that because I did that, and she says, she goes, um, but I don't really know if I believe that. I said, oh, that's okay. I said, can we just take you and I and your husband, what if we just took like the next six weeks, and we just worked our way through why we think the New Testament would have us be, be members of a local church, and, I, and I, I said to her with all honesty, I said, and you know what, let me just tell you something, I'm not trying to hide something. I'm not trying to work it around somehow. I'm not trying to manipulate something. This isn't like a, a giant pyramid scheme. Like I get like extra little kudos if I get, you know, if I get X amount of people in the church. I said, I just want you with a real conscience to believe what God's word says. And you know what this girl, she just, she, it was like all her defense just crumbled. She said, thanks. I had this LES man, he came to church, and he's like, um, so like, what are you going to do with the money when you sell it? Does it go to all the pastors? I'm like, dude, that's a great idea. <laughs> I said, no, actually, I'm just a member. No, I'm serving. The, the congregation actually affirmed me as one of the elders. The congregation actually asked me to serve, but I'm actually just a member. I'm just a sheep like everybody else here. He goes, huh? I said, well, don't you think it'd be weird if somehow I got paid, like at the end of this whole thing, I got paid based on the value of this building? Don't you think that would affect my message? In fact, you know what? Our budget is right over there. Do you see those pieces of paper right there? If you want to look how every dollar is spent, you can look at that because we're a congregational church and we have nothing to hide. That's what we should all be like. We have nothing to hide. It's like, it's like people, our neighbors could come into our house. Sadly, in, in, in uh, Utah context, there's, most homes have what they call the bishop room. Do you know what that is? It's the one room in the house that they keep really nice. So just in case the bishop comes over, they look good. We just have the bishop house. And we don't look so good. But you know what? It's real. 
It's, it's a real that, that sinners saved by grace real. It's, it's like this is who we are. There's nothing to hide. And that's why Paul's like, we just commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Like if you have a beef with us, if you have an issue with us, just come talk to us. We'll talk about it. We'll work it out. We'll, we'll be transparent with it. We have nothing to hide. And so you know what our culture needs? You, do you know what you know what Grand Haven needs? That this needs? It doesn't need any more church buildings. You got plenty of those, right? I was all over the internet yesterday. I'm kind of like a church nerd. And so I was looking at all the different churches. Like, I was like, Luke, what's this church about? Oh, Luke, what's this church about? Luke, what's this church about? Luke's like, okay, can we just talk about me right now? That sounds like Luke. You don't need any more church buildings. You need authentic communities of Jesus Christ that just are impacted by the word and Jesus Christ dwells in them and they're just, they're just busted out in the community and they're saying, you know what, I know everyone's making truth claims. I just want to live authentically Jesus Christ. I just want to have a ministry that's authentic because it's from God, it's not of myself and I just want to live and practice this ministry with integrity, be honest and transparent. That's, that's all I can do. He says we must have a ministry that's not only is it, that is authentic, but we just declare a message that exalts Christ. It's just we live out Jesus and we speak Jesus. Look at verse 3 through 6. And even if our gospel's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In the case, the God of this world have blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. Do you see what happened? Paul's just saying, guys, I'm telling you, I got this ministry from God. You all are manifestation of that ministry, chapter 2 and chapter 3. And he says, this is from God. I'm just going to live it out. I'm going to live it out honestly and transparently. And you know, if others can't see it, if, if the gospel that is just so authentically lived out from our life is veiled, it's veiled by the God of this world who's actually seeking to blind the minds of unbelievers. Can I just tell you, the enemy seeks to blind the hearts of unbelievers. You see, Paul's been so open that if people do not see us because they've been blinded to the actual facts of the gospel. You know, that's what our secular society is trying to do. They're trying to re remove the Bible from, from having any, any sphere of influence. If they can, if they can push and, and misinterpret separation of church and state to the standpoint of, like, it's okay for there to be this church right here as long as this cutesy little church doesn't impact the community. But, but that's not the will of God. And that's actually a work of the enemy. He doesn't want people to know about the good news or the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension or the return or the lordship of Jesus Christ. He wants all of those around us not to even see the facts of the gospel. But then the enemy is blinding people to the need of the gospel. It's like uh, I was in Myrtle Beach and this, this good old boy, I got done preaching like a simple gospel message and this good old boy. Did you know everyone's a Christian in South Carolina? Did you know that? And he goes, Brother Will, Brother Will, I just, man, that just touched my heart. Yes, sir, that message, it just touched me right here. I'm just so thankful. I love your little family, and they're just so cute, and it just touched my heart. I said, sir, have you ever submitted yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? And he goes, Brother Will, I'm, you know, my daddy. My daddy was a founding member of such and such Creek Baptist Church, and my uncle is a trustee at, at, at another uh, Creek Baptist Church. And I'm just telling you, it just touched my heart. Sir, have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone? Brother Will, I better get going. I, I'll see you tonight. 
the enemy. Do you guys know anything of that in this culture right here? You know what saddens me about certain areas of the world, like even right here in western Michigan, is the gospel is like just right there. I mean, it's right in the Bible in their pews. I mean, it's right there. How many of you know somebody that just goes to some Christian church in the area that you know doesn't really know Jesus? You know what the enemy does? He blinds us to the facts of the gospel. He blinds us for the need of the gospel. He blinds us to the glory of Christ. Do you see what he said? And if our gospel's veiled, like people can't see it, even though we're just being transparent, it's veiled to those who actually are going to experience the judgment of God. They're perishing. And he says the, the God of this world will blind the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from what? Seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. You see the, the beauty of Jesus, the glory of Christ. It's, it's, um, it's, it's what's going to happen when one day all the veils are ripped off. And, and in Philippians 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That the whole concept is that, that, that the, the God of this world doesn't want people to, to see the light of the gospel or the glory of Christ who is actually God, the deity of Jesus Christ, the majestic power of Jesus. And the enemy's like, yeah, because if they see Jesus like that, the battle's over. You think that's what, by the way, that's what happens at conversion. Like, like just think of how many people in the, in the Gospels are just walking next to Jesus, and it's like, oh, there's Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the glory of Christ, the realization, this is the creator. This is God. What do they do? Peter gets in the boat. I'm a sinful man. I mean, they're just like, the battle's over. Because ultimately, the Enemy wants to blind people from the lordship of Christ, who is in the image of God. And he uses many different means. He uses false philosophies, superstitions, materialism, sensual passions. I mean, just think of the culture around us. He, he uses religious uh, words. He lose, uses uh, uh, little pseudo-gatherings. Pseudo he uses all sorts of things. You combine the problem with blindness with the timidity of the preacher, and now we've got a real problem. You combine this with a preacher who's been silenced or he's a purveyor of, of a watered-down text, and this is a problem. You know what, you know what Christian? You, you have to live out the gospel. You have to have a ministry that's transparent, but you can't be muted. You must preach Christ. And that's what he does in verse 4 and 5, or 5 and 6. He says, and that we proclaim not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. You see, if Satan is trying to blind people to the lordship of Jesus, then that's what we do. We got to thunder out the lordship of Jesus with ourselves for your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God has said, let the light shine out of darkness, who has shown in their hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. You know what? Only God can kind, cause the blind to see. Only God can turn on the light switch. And he uses this creation motif. And for time's sake, I'm going to blitz through this. But, but just like in the beginning, God said, what did God say? In the very beginning, let there be what? And he's using that same motif, that same idea, because that's what God does. How many of you knew facts about God before you knew God? How many of you was like a light bulb went off when you're like, oh, Jesus. I'm a wretch, but he died for me. I was a sinner, and yet he wants to give me his righteousness. You know what? 
That is not an excuse for us to be passive about preaching the gospel. It's actually a comfort that no one, no one is too big for God. God is not intimidated by anyone, no matter if they live in Utah or western Michigan. God is not intimidated by any type of religious work. He's not intimidated by any world religion. No, God can speak light into darkness. He can put something into nothing. None are beyond his call. He can illumine and transform anyone. Nobody is too far gone for God. He says, just as God shines light in the darkness. And, and what is that light? That light, that light is the glory of Christ. You see, it starts through the knowledge of the gospel. And then the gospel goes into the heart and the mind. And we see and believe. I mean, that's what happens. Paul knew what it was to be blinded, remember? He, he told us, he said, I used, to be a, 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 I used to be insolent. I used to be a persecutor. I used to be a blasphemer. I mean, he's going up to Damascus. He's going to go kill some more Christians. And he actually thinks it's the will of God. Just think about it. He's going to go break one of the Ten Commandments because it's the will of God. That's how blind he is. And then who shows up? King Jesus. Who are you? I'm Jesus. And he repents. You see, that's how it works. God does the work, but what's the means? He's ordained not just the end, but the means. How does it work? Well, the gospel goes in, and it usually goes into somewhere in the brain through the ear gate, the eye gate, and it goes in, and it, and it just kind of moves, and then it, it trickles down into the affections and the heart, and there's sorrow over sin, and there's a, a fear over a lack of righteousness and the coming judgment of God, and the Spirit of God begins to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and then so, slowly it it drips into the will, and by God's grace, God turns the light on so people repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And so what do we do? We preach Jesus. That's all we do, that's all we can do, is we just take the message that we've received that's changed our life, and we live it out, and then we speak it out. That's all we can do, an authenticity that just lives out the gospel and preaches the gospel. So he says in verse 5 of chapter 4, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. Like, like what good do we have? I mean, really, can I preach any willisms that's going to save anyone? No way. You don't want none of my junk. You don't want my issues. You don't want my stuff. You want Jesus. That's what you want. And Paul says, we don't preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord. We're just your servants. Jesus, he's the incarnate Savior. Christ, he's the anointed to a position of, of lordship. We just preach the gospel. Next chapter, he says in verse 11, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Um, do you know what I think happens? When it's all about you, we're really active, but there's a fear. Like we're not doing enough. Like, like if, if, if people coming to Christ in Utah, like if, there was, if, if I had to take the responsibility to build a church in Utah, I'd be like frantically. And there might be like outward good like things happen, but it wouldn't be of substance. And so you got Will. He's running around. He's scared. Am I saying it right? Am I doing it right? And then, and then what begins to happen is you begin to realize, no, God's the one that saves. 
And I think some are tempted to, to kind of be inactive. They're just like, okay, God will save when God wants to save. But then you keep reading the Bible and you realize, no, God actually uses the means of preaching the gospel. And you know what you start to do? It's not like you're frantic, but now there's a confidence. And there's a power. And there's a foundation. And you're like, you know what? God's going to save people. In fact, in the church of Corinth, you know what he actually said about the church of Corinth? There are yet many people that I've chosen that have not yet turned to me yet. And I want you to go get them. And there's a confidence that God's going to work. And so, you know what he says? So knowing the fear of the Lord is coming upon I'm going to persuade people, or in verse 20 of chapter 5, for we're just ambassadors for Christ. We're just going to take the message from the king, and we're going to share it with others. God making his appeal through us. The King James says, we beg you. ESV, we implore you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Um, David Hasefluke, I don't know if you've ever heard that name, or uh, do you guys know uh, what are those dispatches from the front? Does anyone watch those little videos? Okay, you got to watch number two. David Hasefluke, missionary to Albania. Uh, Albania is a, is, is a fascinating country. It's 50% Muslim, but then it was also in the Warsaw Pact, so it was a communist country. So you've got like this big, this big secular atheist group. You've got a big uh, 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 followers of Islam. So you have hardly any Christians. He goes there, and by God's grace, they see, um, this, is, this is about 10 years ago, they see about 10, they, well, first they saw two churches, and then there was a bunch, and there was a terrible trial, and it went back down. They're growing again. But right at the beginning, like there's two churches planted in this, this very hostile territory, and um, my friend Tim Cassie, who's actually doing the videos, so he's a friend, he's doing it, and he's not, I know him, he's not like trying to like get the secret sauce, but he kind of asked a question that was kind of like, what's the secret sauce? He's like, so, so there's two churches in Albania, I mean, what did you guys do? I mean, what is your strategy? That's kind of the question. And David Hasefluk is like the most unassuming person. He's like, well, um, I wake up, I pray. I tell people about Jesus. Wake up, pray, tell people about Jesus. You know, I just look at the Bible sometimes. I, I, I just think it's, uh, there's probably a lot of fear, intimidation. I just want you to know it's not us. It's not, nobody's got secret sauce. We're just ambassadors. We're just preaching Jesus. We're just living Jesus. We're not, we're not doing anything like any different than the people here, right? I think some of us, we got people that we're just like, it's just, they're just, it's too hard. I just want you to know, God's not scared of them. All we can do is live an authentic Christian life and preach Jesus. And all God's people say, who's, who's got somebody on your heart? Do you just, you just wish they would taste of freedom in Christ. How many of you can think of somebody? Can we just pray for them? Father, help, help us all to be faithful in preaching the gospel. Thank you for this crew. Lord, sometimes we just wonder, is, is the message of Christ still enough for today? Lord, help us to be authentic. 
Help us, Lord, to just preach Jesus. With their heads bowed, I'll just let Nate close as he sees. Yeah, just take a moment in the quietness of your heart to talk to the Lord, and then I'll come back and pray.